Happy National Pet Month, everyone. This is Ricardo, and here's what you'll be wagging your tail to in the Popping Collars feed for May 2022. The Popping Collars crew discuss our favorite filmed adaptations of popular books this month. Check out what movies we think are the pick of the litter. The PC Music Diary is back with a perfect song this month. I'll be talking about Main Street by Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. The fur will be flying on an all-new Going On 30 when Greg and Betsy discuss Oliver Stone's conspiracy epic, JFK. On The Sacred Six, Dan Jocelyn Simatowski and Greg are back for another conversation about baseball and sacraments. Hear what these cool cats have to say about the scapegoating of Bill Buckner and our need for reconciliation. Finally, join Liz and me on the PC Book Club, where we recommend some new reads for you and your four-legged pal to curl up with. Thanks for listening to Popping Collars, the only podcast that keeps your and your pet's collars popped. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going on 30, a popping color side project where we go back and to the left. Back to the left. So triggering. Back. Stop. <laughs> With movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago. This month, we're looking at three letters. J F. Okay. If I answer that question you keep asking, if I give you the name of the big enchilada you know, then it's Bon Voyage Dino. I mean like poignant. I mean like a bullet in my head, you dig? Does that help you see my problem a little better? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of light in the bushes, and then shots rang out. No cloak and dagger stuff, you know. They called it Operation Mongoose. It's gonna be okay, Dave. You just talk to us on the record and we'll protect you. I guarantee it. You are so naive. You found us in your office. We think the conference room is also above maybe the phones. I'm not cooperating here. I'm not cooperating here. Listen, there's a death wall for me. Are the same people gonna kill us, Pop? Nobody's gonna kill us. Y'all gotta get into your minds how the hell the spooks think. Now, they're not ordinary crooks. Think the unthinkable. Question everything. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. You don't believe me? Hmm? All this time, you never believed me. I just want to raise our children and live a normal life. I want my life Look, this thing's bigger than all of us. Now, how many corpses is it going to take for you lawyers to figure out what you want? People got to know. People got to know why he was killed. You know what you got for me? I'm a dead man! Unless they can kill the president, they can certainly get me. You're a mouse fighting
You're closer than you think. There's going to be an attempt to kill you somewhere between here and New Orleans. I say let justice be done over heaven's fall. In comparison to the actual movie, I have a brief description of this movie. Let's see what you like to hear. Yes. Yes, please. This acclaimed Oliver Stone drama presents the investigation into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, led by New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison. When Garrison begins to doubt conventional thinking on the murder, he faces government resistance, and after the killing of suspected assassin Lee Harvey Oswald, he closes the case. Later, however, Garrison reopens the investigation, finding evidence of an extensive conspiracy behind Kennedy's death. Uh, Betsy, before we get into this, what is your history with the movie, Jeff? There is this part of me that feels like we watched this in school, but then I don't. <laughs> I think it's because you and I have been referring to this as a term paper. Yes. Which is this is this is a term paper by a kid who said, take that word limit. Take that page suggested, you know, this term paper would be bad in that class. It's like after you hit the page limit, I'm going to stop reading. And, I would and, now like to submit my doctoral thesis. Yes. On the assassination of JFK. Yes. So so this paper would not do well in that no. class. <laughs> but it's also, I think, term paper and therapy session. And we'll get into that. But um, I must have watched this. Maybe I watched this in college. Yeah. I might have watched it at the time. We might have gone to go see it at the time. I mean, Oliver Stone was, he was somebody whose films you needed to watch, you know, that kind of thing. So I might have watched it for that reason. But it is long, Greg. It is long. I mean. Now, what was the original length? What's the director's cut length? Okay. So the original length is like three and a half, right? Okay. Three and a half hours. And yes. the director's cut length is getting close to four. I'm guessing. Now I did not watch that one. You watched that one, right? I think so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. There's so much that could have been cut that I'm not sure. It's like, it's kind of like apocalypse now or like blade runner. I don't know what version of this movie I'm watching. I know. I know. Okay. So I have uh, like a specific story What's uh, your? about my history with this movie, which is that this movie came out when I was in the ninth grade. Because I was not a good student in high school. And so therefore I was in the regular sort of social studies class, right? But Mm -hmm. the honors social studies class, the smart kids got to go see JFK on a field trip to the movie theater. So they got to leave school, go to the movies, watch a three and a half hour movie, and then come back to school. And How I was old were they? So jealous. So ninth grade. So we're talking like 14-year-olds. Oh, my I, Lord. I oh was so Lord. jealous. Picture, if you will. Picture. Being a ninth grade chaperone watching this movie. Because <laughs> oh you know they didn't go. You know they probably didn't go preview it. No. No. They just went straight in. Like, oh, this will be great. It'll be like, you know, a little history lesson. And then all of a sudden you get to the scene with Kevin Bacon in prison and you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. made a horrible <laughs> As best you can, what are your general thoughts on the movie, JFK? Oh, my Lord. As I said before, it does feel like a cross between a term paper, a dissertation, 
mm-hmm. and a therapy session. Mm-hmm. It's just like Oliver Stone sets himself up as being this person who's going to take on the tough, scarring topics yeah. of boomerdom. Yeah. Right. So we've done Vietnam already. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to do the assassination of JFK and how that shattered their world of security mm-hmm. and innocence. And how deep does the conspiracy go? Right. So I definitely feel that being played out all over yeah. this movie. And uh, and you know, Garrison Costner, he's incredibly likable, except when he's an obsessive. You know, that's difficult to kind of watch, but it kind of makes you wonder, you know, when have have I ever been as obsessed and passionate about something <laughs> as this guy? Um they're definitely if you were an actor of a certain age and you were white, you were right. in this movie. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Every other moment, there's Walter Matthau for a hot second on an airplane. Right. Uh, Jack Lemon. There's there's Martin Sheen's random ass voiceover. Jack Lemon's great, by the way. I He's really good. At those. <laughs> really? God, I miss them. I miss those two. The, this movie gets in your head. It was totally, in my head oh, totally does. for yeah. days after I watched it. Like I kept wanting to bring it up with people I'm having lunch with or um, sitting at someone's house, having to have a glass of wine. And I'm like, so I recently was okay. <laughs> and it's like, uh, so and maybe now that it, the president down this road, instead of coming up this. Other <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like that, it does feel like a Turkey shoot and that doesn't, you know, and I just, just everything's in there and maybe it is. It is this thing, too, that you're also watching this with a post-Watergate. So Watergate, also yeah. a watershed moment mm-hmm. for the boomers. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, everything is a conspiracy or things are aligned against us. And and then there becomes that moment mm-hmm. of talking about. So and now I'm watching it with my 47-year-old 2022 eyes. Mm-hmm. And so, like, oh, no. Maybe, you know, and yes, I'm Jim wondering Garrison, when, yeah. yeah, I'm Jim Garrison is very much the guy that would be like scrolling Reddit at three o'clock in the morning. Like, oh, oh my God. gosh, did you see this? Did well, that, this? yes. And that was the thing. I didn't want to Google anything during the, during the, cause I was like, oh, who's this person? Let me look at this. Cause I knew Greg, I would never have left my apartment. Mm-mm. Like it just would have, it no. would have sucked you in. And yeah. Even though it is a voluminous amount of information, it does pull you in. It does make you think about and question. I think particularly because we've seen things like big business and money and power and how that drives systems, Mm -hmm. whether you're talking about opioids and medication or the military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And because I think we, I know some of the American psyche Makes it be like, is this that far fetched? What do you think? First note, number one note. Good golly, these New Orleans accents. Oh, like, sure. <laughs> yep. Who is the greatest offender? It's got to be Costner. And then John Candy's is really weird. Oh my gosh, he his is <laughs> throw in some 1950s scat cat on top of. I'm like, what? What era are you playing this in, John? Um, okay, so here's my main note. I wrote that it's like a porno in that <laughs> it's like a conspiracy porno in that the structure of the movie 
is like um, talking, 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 and then it'll go into like, you know, 16 millimeter footage with somebody talking over the thing, usually like Laurie Metcalf or somebody talking about right. Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, cuts all these different things. And the editing in it is um, really quick, really fast paced. John Williams score will just come in like boom, to boom, boom, to boom. Let me ask you something, Lou. Why not just shoot Kennedy coming up Houston? There's plenty of time. He's out in the open. I know, I keep asking myself the same thing. It's a frontal shot. Even if you miss him for the first shot, if it accelerates, you still got him for the second shot. No, the only reason for waiting to get him on Elm is you got him in a triangulated crossfire. You put a team there on that defense for a frontal shot, flat, low trajectory. Put a third team down here in this building here on a low floor. Kennedy gets the kill zone there. It's a turkey shoot. How many men? Okay. Not one shooter at one spot on a radio, maybe three teams. I'd say these professional riflemen, too, Chief. They're serious people. Hunters. Patient. Takes skill to kill with the rifle, Chief. You gotta figure that's why there's been no execution of a chief executive with one in 200 years. And you just go with that for like three or four minutes, five minutes, and then it goes back to the boring story again. Boring, boring, boring. And then it goes back to like the, and then this, it's like, it was like that for like four hours. I was like, okay, so when is the next you know, like flashbacky, oh, look at this evidence kind of thing going to happen. And so. Well, so and this good. is such a masculine movie. It is just all the guys, all mm-hmm. the guys all the time. You know, I'm like, was Lord, was there a woman actually on the team or you know, had Lori Metcalf sneak in there? I know. This stuff yeah. for the ladies here. Um, okay. So we've talked a lot about this movie. Can you, what, can you identify what you would call the best scene of this movie out of the 5,000 possible scenes to choose from? Oh my gosh. So many scenes. Cause I like the scenes when all the lawyers are together. What Oswald was no angel. That's clear. But who was he? I'm lost boss. What are we saying here? We're saying that when Oswald went to Russia, he was not a real defector. That he was an intelligence agent on some kind of mission for our government and remained one till the day he died. That's what we're saying. Therefore, because Oswald pulled the trigger, the intelligence community murdered their own commander-in-chief? Is that what you're saying? I'll go you one better, Bill. Maybe Oswald didn't even pull the trigger. Nitrate tests indicate he hadn't even fired a rifle on November 22nd. And on top of that, they didn't even bother to see if the rifle had been fired that day. He had his palm print on the weapon. Well, it went to the FBI, Bill. It comes back a week later, and one guy in the Dallas Police Department suddenly finds a palm print. For all we know, it could have been taken off Oswald in the morgue. There's no chain of evidence. I never could figure out why this guy orders a traceable weapon to this post office box when he goes into any store in Texas, give a phony name, and walk out with a rifle which can never be traced. To frame him, obviously. There's a lot of smoke there. 
But there's some fire. We're talking about our government here. No, we're talking about a crime, Bill. Pure and simple. Y'all gotta start thinking on a different level, like the CIA does. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. Just maybe Oswald is exactly what he said he was. A patsy. Mm-hmm. I like that group of lawyers. I like the actors that are in there. You know, I really, you know, even down to, you know, actors that I've seen in other things that pop up, you know, whether it's like Gary Grubbs, who's one of the attorneys or like Wayne Knight. And stuff. Wayne Knight. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah. Lori Metcalf. Yeah. Just that group. Um, you know, J.O. Saunders plays Lou. Rooker, man. Michael Rooker. Rooker. I thought the scene where Rooker's character is like, I can't do it. Yeah. I so sympathized with Rooker's character in that moment. Yeah. Of like, what are you even talking about? When Bill is like, I just, you're so you're saying, and they're like, yeah, there's still this. I mean, they are in the trenches together. They are in a foxhole together. At this point, everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody's watching them. And I know that Rooker's Rooker's character is playing the role of kind of the skeptic of the system of this idea that that Stone is putting out there is supposed to be kind of this voice of the audience. Like, I'm out of this. I'm walking out of this movie theater, even though I'm kind of pot committed at this point because I've been here at least two hours. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go maybe get some more popcorn and walk it off. (laughs) So just yeah, the I, team working together as a team. The team, because you, you know me, I have a weakness for a team. I have a weakness for a group of people. Rapid fire dialogue. Let's mm-hmm. kind of get people going together and around the table. I mean, I have confessed on on this show and our other derivations of this show that I have a weakness for movies like Twister because it's a group of people working together towards a goal. Well, Betsy, before I get to my best scene. Uh-oh. Did I touch something off here? You've touched something off. I've oh got my a gosh! Top what five? Ha- a top five? I've got a top five that goes exactly with what you just talked about. Oh my gosh! I'm so I've excited. The top five get it done teams from movies. Yes, I did not know this audience. <laughs> I did not know this. Listener. Top five get it done. Getting it done teams. <laughs> Can Twister be an honorable mention on your list? Uh, I do. I do have an honorable mention because it's not a movie team; it's a oh. television team. Okay, it's the A team. The A team. A team gets A-team. it done. Got to get in it done. an hour. They <laughs> <Every> do <week. laughs> with with helicopters and a van, right? And get still done. escape from the military police at the end. Oh my gosh, right. so crazy! Okay, okay, all right. So, what is your what is your number five team getting it done? Number five, uh, probably inspired by this movie. Tommy Lee Jones and the team from The Fugitive. Fire truck. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or dog house in that area. Checkpoints go up in 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Yeah. The Marshalls team from the, the Marshalls team is pretty good. Get it. Because you want you you want to not like them because they're That's going right. after. That's right. Dr. Richard Kimball. That's right. 
but yeah, I hear that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number four. Number four, the spotlight team from the movie Spotlight. Yeah. Get yeah. it done in Boston. Getting it done. Mark Ruffalo, getting it done. Better accents than JFK. Okay, yes, go ahead. Okay. Number three. Number three, the Goonies. It's so our many, so much get it done in the 1980s. So much get it done. <laughs> it's our time down here. We got to get that ship. What's the movie where the kids are going after the Russians? The Patrick Swayze Oh, uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. <laughs> because <laughs> there's so many threats there's so many threats dude we may be living red dawn we might <laughs> i know out. oh don't talk about it okay all right so then um what's the number two team getting it done number two team is danny ocean's team from oceans 11 yes you're not the contortionist right. don't get in the very small compartment that's right okay all right number one team getting it done Number one team getting it done, and this is just for you, Betsy. It's the Twister team. Shut up! Getting it done. Getting it done. They are scientists. They solve the mysteries of tornadoes. And they can put back together Bill Paxton's relationship. Great. That's right. Driving around in trucks, looking at maps. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip (laughs) Seymour Hoffman. That's what I'm talking about. There we go. It's the top dusty, five. Dusty, dusty. I can't even remember, believe I remember that. Dusty. <laughs> it's the top five get it done teams from movies. That's awesome. All right. So then, what's your favorite scene? So my or favorite scene is uh, is actually the first part of the long speech at the end. It's the assassination theory scene where he's just running down how he thinks the assassination happened. Ten to twelve men, three teams, three shooters. The triangulation of five, Clay Shaw and David Barry discussed too much before. They've walked the plaza. They know every inch. They've calibrated their sights. They practice on moving targets. They're ready. Kennedy's motorcade makes a turn from Maine onto Houston. It's gonna be a turkey shoot. They don't shoot him coming up Houston, which is the easiest shot for a single shooter in the book depository. They wait. They wait till he gets to the killing zone between three rifles. Kennedy makes the final turn from Houston on the L, slowing down to some 11 miles an hour. The shooters across Dealey Plaza tighten, taking their aim, waiting for the radio to say, green, green, or aboard, aboard. First shot rings out, sounding like a backfire, it misses the car completely. Frame 161, Kennedy stops waving as he hears something. Conley's head turns slightly to the right. Frame 193, the second shot hits Kennedy in the throat from the front. Frame 225, the president emerging from behind the road sign. You can see that he's obviously been hit, raising his arms to his throat. The third shot, frame 232, hits Kennedy in the back, pulling him downward and forward. Conley, you will notice, shows no signs at all of being hit. He is visibly holding his Stetson, which is impossible if his wrist has been shattered. Conley is turning here now, frame 238, the fourth shot. It misses Kennedy and takes Conley in the back. This is the shot that proves there were two rifles. Conley yells out, my God, they're going to kill us all. 
Somewhere around this time now, another shot that misses the car completely, strikes James Head down by the underpass. The car breaks. The sixth and fatal shot, frame 313, takes Kennedy in the head from the front. This is the key shot. The president going back and to his left. Shot from the front and right. Totally inconsistent with the shot from the depository. Again, back to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. Back and to the left. And honestly, when that part hits and that John Williams score is kicked in and it's got all of that, you know, crazy footage and unfortunately has the digitally enhanced Bruder film. Oh my gosh. Over and over again. Ugh, so bad. My stomach was turning. Um, but uh, but everything about that, the whole like Oswald leaving the book depository, yeah, you know, the guys in the parking lot with uh, you know at the grassy knoll, the homeless guys being uh trucked through, you know, everything just um it, I mean, for whatever flaws this movie has, that is some compelling movie. I could not take my eyes off the screen. So let's get to best performance. You actually had my best performance. Mine was the investigative team. It's uh, it's Laurie Metcalf, yeah. Wayne Knight, Michael Rooker, all yeah. that crew. I just I I love yeah. them, uh, especially Laurie Metcalf. I thought her her parts were great. Laurie Metcalf is always great in yeah. just about everything. And honestly, at this point, like other than Roseanne, would have been like the only thing that most people would have known her from, probably. Yes. Because yeah. she had such a stage career up to that point. You know, I just thought the way that they worked together, the flow of that team, it was just great. Yeah. Every time they were together, I'm totally with you. I thought, these are my favorite people in the movie. Yeah. I wish the movie was just this. Yeah, can we get back to them? When we're, <laughs> when we're, at, when we're at Kevin Costner's house, I'm like, yeah. can we, what's everybody else doing? Can we go find them? Yeah, I thought, I thought Rooker was very Rookery in particular. He disappeared more into his character. Mm-hmm. Even though he still had, I mean, there is just this Oliver Stone over the top. There's this element of that things will just go off the rails because you can contrast that team with the conspiracy team. Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. Joe Pesci, Gary Oldman, random Cubans, Kevin you know, Bacon. like that. Yeah, Kevin Bacon, that like that, that's the other side. And it's so unhinged. Mm-hmm. And that really the chaos of it makes you really feel like anything could happen over there. I've got some stats about the movie. Stats, 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 stats. JFK opened on December 20th, 1991. Oscar bait. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Here's the president. Let's take the whole fat name. (laughs) Grandpa, I love it. This day in 90210. Oh, what is happening? Da, 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 da. <laughs> it was season two, episode 18, entitled A Walsh Family Christmas. Oh, yeah. Steve. Oh, wait, here's the write-up. And somehow they included actor names. So oh. I get to I get to do this oh. now. Steve Ian Zeering. There we go. <laughs> learns about his biological parents. Oh, yes. Dylan, Luke Perry, <laughs> visits his imprisoned father, Josh Taylor. Brenda's Shannon Doherty. 
homeless guest lights up the house. Literally? Figuratively? I don't remember that part of the story. <laughs> Brandon and Emily, Jason Priestley, and Christine Elise establish a new friendship. Oh, so this is after Brandon and Emily broke up because she ha- she was bipolar or something. Or is this the beginning of their relationship? No. If this was Christmas, this would have been after the first summer season. Okay. Yeah, and they met during while he was working at the beach club. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, this is back when people used to do Christmas episodes actually closer to Christmas and not like on December 10th. That was that was a good one. All right. So um, much family. So much family. So much bring family. them all, bring them all to the JFK. It's gonna be great. JFK had a domestic gross of $70 million, making okay. it the number 17th grossing movie of 1991. Now, here's the thing. That seems like a low number, but just think about how many screenings of this movie you would have had at your local theater. Like, mm-hmm. you would have maybe gotten four or five screenings yeah. of this movie during a day. Yeah. So yeah. it's actually the length of the movie is probably what's keeping this number down as far as... Agreed. Yeah. Um, it is the number 1,182nd top grossing movie of all time between. Oh, no. Here we go. You get okay. JFK. That okay. comes between the first Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, no. Mortal Kombat. Got it. Okay. Radiant wins. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> It comes between Mortal Kombat and Shaft. From 2000, the Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson Shaft. Mortal Kombat. JFK. (laughs) Yes. And Samuel L. Jackson Shaft from 2000. And can we also say that Samuel L. Jackson, Vanessa Williams, Christian Bale. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright. Oh, I love that Shaft movie. Buster Rhymes. Tony Collette. Yeah, absolutely. Richard yeah, Roundtree, original chef. That movie, that chef movie is good. And I, you know, I know people love to put it down because it's not like, you know, Richard Roundtree's Shaft and, you know, that was so much cooler and all of that stuff. But Shaft 2000 is good, you guys. Give it another watch. Okay. So Flirt, yeah. Mary Kill, Shaft, Mortal, Co- Mortal Kombat <laughs> or JFK. Okay. I'm going to flirt. With Mortal Kombat. Kill JFK. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. I don't like the way that sounds. And then I'm going to marry Shaft. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you, except uh-uh. I'm going to flirt with Shaft because Shaft's a bad mother. <clears throat> I'm afraid to marry Shaft. You're, oh, and you're not. If, you, you, you can't handle it. And I need that Mortal Kombat music in my life for the rest of my life. So I'm going to marry Mortal Kombat and then obviously JFK, I'm going to kill. That, Wait a second. Wait. Whoa, oh, oh, no. I just admitted to killing JFK. On this oh, part. no. That feels on brand. <laughs> <laughs> JFK has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. Roger Ebert. What do you think? What did he about? say? Did this rock Roger's socks off? Hmm. What did he say? I uh, will say it's a two-word review. So. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And I know he probably didn't say utter garbage. So <laughs> what did he say? Raj said hypnotically watchable. Four oh. out of four stars. Okay. Uh, Janet Maslin had a different take. Uh-oh. Yes, she did. Mm. She came in with this. It is facile and confusing. 
as if this probe of so important a chapter in American history were being conducted by MTV. Oh, see, this is when people would throw MTV under the bus. That's right. That's right. That was a slam at our generation right there. Right. Like that. Oh, well, it's not like I could. Wasn't there a movie that we watched recently that said, well, it's not like it's MTV. Like you're you're it was a put down. Yeah. Was it pump up the volume? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, but it was like you, you kids, and your yep. and and that and that that's what's giving us short attention spans. That's right. Go outside and play. Read a right. book. Yeah. Quit yeah. watching your MTV. Yeah. How did it do at the Oscars? Uh, it won two Oscars, Betsy. What do you think it won? Score. No, not score. It was nominated for score. Yeah, because like, John Williams. Yeah, because the John Williams score is actually really good in this. Yeah, you got to nominate that. Mm-hmm. It's a period film, but I don't think it would win for costumes. No, no. Was it nominated for costumes? Uh, it was not nominated for costumes. Yeah. yeah. Mm, cinematography? Yes. yes. Yeah, that was totally yes. Cinematography. Yes. That was a lot to put together. The second Oscar kind of goes with the sound editing. No, not sound editing, but (laughs) (laughs) that's film editing. That's film editing. Okay, I got it. (laughs) Sorry. 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 Which that makes that makes total sense to me. That's that's the whole like. Wait, how are we going to put together historical footage, voiceovers, yeah. actors doing things? So much is happening. What are we doing? Right. Yeah. It was nominated for five other Oscars, including Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> who won? Who won that year? Best Supporting Actor in 1992 was Jack Palance in City Slickers. Oh wow! Okay. Is that right? Oh, is that right? Sure. People love that city slickers. This was the Oscars where he got up on stage after he won and did one armed pushups. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Uh, best supporting actor, Tommy Lee Jones. It was also nominated for best director, Oliver Stone, and best adapted screenplay, best sound, and best score. I mean, even if we had not allowed the bubble top to be removed from the limousine, we would have placed at least 100 to 200 agents on the sidewalk without question. I mean, only a month ago, UN Ambassador Adlai Stevenson spit on and hit. There had already been several attempts on De Gaulle's life in France. We would have arrived days ahead of time, studied the route, checked all the buildings, never would have allowed all those wide open empty windows overlooking Dealey. Never. We'd have had our own snipers covering the area. The minute a window went up, They'd have been on the radio. We'd have been watching the crowd. Packages rolled up, newspapers, coat over and up. Never would have let a man open an umbrella along the way. Never would have allowed that limousine to slow down to 10 miles an hour, much less take that unusual curve at Houston and Elm. You would have felt an army presence in the streets that day. None of this happened. It was a violation of the most basic protection codes we have, and it is the best indication of a massive plot in Dallas. Now, who could have best done this? Black Ops, Mr. Garrison, people in my business, people like my superior officer could have called Colonel Reich and said, look, we have another unit coming from so-and-so providing security. You'll stand down. I mean, that day, in fact, there were some individual Army intelligence people in Dallas. I'm still trying to figure out who and why. But they weren't protecting client. And, of course, Oswald. Army intel had a Harvey Lee Oswald on file. All those files have been destroyed. Many strange things were happening, and your Lee Harvey Oswald had nothing to do with them. 
We had the entire cabinet on a trip to the Far East. We had one-third of a combat division returning from Germany in the air above the United States at the time of the shooting. At 12.34 p.m., the entire telephone system went out in Washington for a solid hour. And on the plane back to Washington, word was radioed from the White House Situations Room to Lyndon Johnson that one individual performed the assassination. Does that sound like a bunch of coincidences to you, Mr. Garrison? No. Not for one moment. The cabinet was out of the country to get their perceptions out of the way. Troops were in the air for possible riot control. The telephones didn't work to get the wrong stories from spreading if anything went wrong with the plan. Nothing was left to chance. He could not be allowed to escape alive. Well, I never thought things were the same after that. Vietnam started for real. It was an era of, I don't know, make-believe in the Pentagon and CIA. Those of us who'd been in secret ops since the beginning knew the Warren Commission was fiction. But there was something, something deeper, uglier. I knew Alan Dulles very well. I briefed him many a time in his house. But for the life of me, I still can't figure out why he was appointed to investigate Kennedy's death, the man who had fired him. Dulles, by the way, was General Wyeth's benefactor. I got out in 64, resigned my commission. I never realized Kennedy was so dangerous to the establishment. Was that Warren? Well, that's a real question, isn't it? Why? The how and the who is just scenery for the public. Oswald, Ruby, Cuba, the Mafia. Keeps them guessing like some kind of parlor game, prevents them from asking the most important question, why? Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? All right, it is time. We have come to the lasting legacy of this movie. And here we are, Betsy. Maybe Because Oliver Stone loves a legacy. Maybe the most important lasting legacy for any of our movie conversations. It's time to talk about conspiracies. Yep. Conspiracy Theory Corner. Here we go. Here 30 we go. years later, after this movie came out, we get conspiracies every other day um, from all different forms of media. Conspiracies have just kind of become a part of our life, be it like a pizza gate or a flat earth or a God knows what else. It's just these are just things that we have to endure and live with. And mm-hmm. I think you can trace back the popularity of this movie to a lot of the nonsense that we have to navigate our way through on uh, the Internet these days. Yes. Yeah. I mean, let's imagine this movie in a heavier Internet time, even though it's still then is referenced all over the place. It's, of course, famously in Seinfeld. It is. It becomes something that is a movie that then gets referenced in other pieces yeah. of popular culture of the time as a reference that everybody would get. But it um, is this this element too of of this national grief, and that this has this has to be more. It's so so seminal that it has to be more than just some guy. Right. Okay. So that actually helps me because. Um, I was going to ask you, why do you think we have conspiracy theories? Like, what role do they serve? But I think you may have just answered it, that we have to see patterns, because otherwise the alternative is just chaos, and we can't live with chaos, maybe. Mm-hmm. The the randomness of life is frightening, so we need yeah. to have something that we're holding on to. Are conspiracy theories appealing to you? Do you personally find them 
interesting? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. That's why I think some of my interest in some of the ideas in this movie makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, it has a feel like fan fiction, Mm -hmm. which I've sort of seen a couple of times, but it's almost like playing fan fiction with history. Right. It's like... um. Well, this crazy thing happened. Like, you know, I mean, just even think about the 60s, right? So you've got 63, JFK gets shot, 68, MLK gets shot, 68, Bobby Kennedy gets shot. And it's like, how do we make sense out of all of this stuff? Unless we start to see patterns. Yeah, I will tend to be a system upholder, I think, generally in my life. Like I, and that is, some of that is totally the privilege that I have in the world as a white person who, Oh yeah, the doctor has my best interests. I'm believing the doctor, Yeah, you know, that, that sort of idea that authority figures are doing what they're supposed to do. Granted, let's, let's take the last six years and see how that feels that, that typically generally that the system is working. And I think that we've been living through a time now where there is, this idea. I mean, do you want to call systemic racism a conspiracy theory? Some people would. I right. don't think it is. I mean, just think about our political system right now. You've got one party who probably will never, ever concede another election ever again mm-hmm. and will hide behind conspiracies to justify their actions, mm-hmm. even though those conspiracies can be proven to be untrue, it doesn't matter. It's almost like it doesn't matter what the truth right. is if I can get people to believe the lie. Yeah. So w- you talked about Oliver Stone doing his Vietnam War movie the last time we talked about him, which was born on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. I would kind of argue that this is a Vietnam War movie. I think that Stone, from whatever his experience was in Vietnam, is haunted by it. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie is him desperately trying to figure out why the war happened. And I think that he sees JFK as a great man. And the death of JFK is what makes his life and so many other American GIs lives go to hell in Vietnam. And he needs to figure out how that happened. Why did this great man die? And all of my friends get sent to a mm-hmm. war that crush them Mm -hmm. is is there any hope that as long as there's an internet we can free ourselves of rampant conspiracies constantly in our lives or is this just something that we have to live with for the rest of our lives i i take it back to to watergate that once watergate was proven to be real and that there could be a conspiracy that involved the president of the united states anything else could be true you know listen i i like this movie but it's a movie like this that is the reason why we have whining racist babies marching on the Capitol calling themselves patriots. And it's because they don't know the good guys from the bad. And it's just, and movies like this obscure all of that stuff and makes them into character actors on television and then you have media outlets who love that because they can turn that confusion into making money. It's just, it's just horrible. I, I just, I, I wish people could free themselves of things like this, but I just, I think that the grip of them is a little too hard sometimes. So, yeah. Uh, who's this movie for? Betsy? 
It is for boomers, but like the end, like the kind of quotes at the end and this idea that like, this is for the generations that come after us, you know, as Jim Garrison refers to his son, you know, they're really seeing this for the people who are coming after them, that it's going to be your, your mantle to make sure that you find these, this darkness and, and shed light on it and call it out. I think that's what the film thinks us for. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely boomers. I got to tell you, though, I kind of feel a little bit of sympathy for boomers from this movie mm-hmm. because, I mean, listen, they're a weird generation. All right. Sorry, boomers. You guys are weird. Sorry. Yep. Yep. You elected an actor and a reality TV show host as president. You guys are a weird generation. All right. Yep. Yep. But it also reinforces that they're kind of screwed up because of the generation that came before them. That didn't talk about anything. Yep. <laughs> that was just like, no, nope, we don't talk about it. No, nope, we don't talk about it. We're the greatest generation. We don't talk about it. And we it's are like, stoic. And boomers are just so messed up from all of that, I think. Agreed. And that's how you end up with conspiracy theory movies like this one. Uh, what is your rating for this movie out of five? I've been struggling with this. You are. Wow. Look at you. Five, four, three, two. You're like, no, no point fives yet. Maybe today. <laughs> I'm going to give JFK a 3.5. All right. Right there in the middle. Little right. bump to the good side. Yeah. What about you? Uh, exactly the same. 3.5. 3.5. Yeah. Uh, and just like we said before, what I wrote about it was it's not really a movie. It's a three hour long essay. Yes. Um, there are things to like, and it's just kind of packed into a movie that's really weird. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's just it's hard to separate some of the stuff. It's just a big kind of New Orleans gumbo of weird, good, strange, you know, it's just kind of all mixed in there. With so. some film strips. <laughs> With some film strips. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Why did the Academy nominate this? Because every actor was in <laughs> all these white dudes. <laughs> that and the stone factor and taking on a giant cultural moment. Yeah, it's got all the Venn diagrams. You got to nominate it. It won't win, but you got to nominate it. That's right. Um, For all of the things that you can say about this movie, it is a huge movie in runtime, in stars, in uh, the score, and like everything about this is big. Oscars like big. They like big movies. They do. Woo, we did it. Uh, quickly, uh, what did Emily have to say about JFK? Well, I did tell her I watched it and she groaned. I think it's another length problem. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to make your voice heard, like Betsy's sister, email us at poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts. We'll read them on the show. Next up, Betsy, we're getting to one of your picks next. Yes. It's Keanu Reeves. We finally made it. To our year of Keanu Reeves. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Keanu Reeves, River Phoenix. It's my own private Idaho. Betsy, are you looking forward to my own private Idaho? I, I, I'm also having a hard time remembering if I've seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it's for me, Greg. Feels like it's for Generation X. It is. So it I'm ready to move away. It's a good chaser. I got to tell you, JFK. I'm so excited to get into the River Phoenix of it all. Definitely excited to get back to some Keanu Reeves. We haven't seen him since Dangerous Liaisons. It's my own private Idaho. That's what we're going to talk about next. Betsy, 
Thanks for talking JFK with me. Uh, I need you to um, put my mind at ease. You're not in the CIA, are you? Oh. What makes you say oh. that, Greg? Oh, 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 huh? oh, no. I regret everything I just said on this podcast. You should. You should. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.